It is the final week of Women's History Month, and we are continuing to feature Latinas who are doing some impactful work in our communities and nation. And today, our conversation is focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, DEINA, in the field of athletic training. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. Today, we are talking to Dr. Rebecca Lopez about how she is leading the effort to advance DEI&A within the profession of athletic training and specifically through her work in, in the National Athletic Trainers Association. Dr. Rebecca Lopez is a professor in, athletic, in the athletic training program at the University of South Florida's Marsanis College of Medicine, and she's also a fellow, fellow of NATA. As always, please subscribe to our um, Empowerment Zone podcast and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Good afternoon. We are here with Dr. Rebecca Lopez, who is a professor in athletic training at the University of South Florida. Welcome, uh, Dr. Rebecca, to the Empowerment Zone. Thank you so much, Dr. Houston. Thank you for inviting me to be here today. Thank you. And you're welcome to call me Ramona. I'm going to continue to call you Dr. Rebecca because I just feel like it's so affirming to call another uh, uh woman, another woman of color, doctor, since I had very few, if any, people in my small town of Brownwood to be able to call doctor. So I am delighted to have you on the show, Dr. Rebecca. Thank you. So um, today I'm really excited about having you as we continue to feature uh, Latinas who are doing great work all of, all of in all of our communities and across the nation. Uh, and so you're doing work in terms of athletic training, but can you, before we get into that and, and, and the great work you're doing in, in your professional organization, tell us how did you, where are you from? How did you get into athletic training? What, what landed you in this field and what, what is your research area? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Miami, Florida, born and raised, uh, daughter of Cuban immigrants. And, um, you know, I, I just played sports, you know, most of my life and was looking at, at what profession to do. And I didn't have an athletic trainer in high school, despite being an athlete and, and being involved in sports and all that. But once I got to college, I, I realized that there's a whole f field of athletic training, which sounds like it's, it's, a, it's actually a medical health profession. So we're healthcare professionals that that uh, work with not only athletic population, but primarily that's how our career started to make sure that injury prevention, recognition and treatment of injuries, emergencies on the field and all that. And now that the, the field has really evolved to be in industrial settings and in doctor's offices, clinics, athletics, um, you name it. We're, we're pretty much in, in a lot of different locations uh, as healthcare professionals trying to treat people and make sure that they're safe, whether they're exercising or working. And so as a young student athlete, um, I came across that field and, and really was intrigued by that opportunity to to work with active individuals and, and help keep them safe. So from there, uh, working mostly in the secondary school setting in Miami, Florida, 
uh, taking care of the student athletes there. And, and I became very interested in heat illness and hydration. So my research area kind of evolved in um, exertional heat stroke, preventing sudden death from in sport uh, from exertional heat stroke and, and the other reasons why athletes might die on the field. So I want to, before we go into the whole process of preventing injury and, and dealing with injury, I'm really curious, what sport did you play? You said you were a student oh. athlete so what, or sports. Yeah, um, in high school, I played everything, but in high school, I played volleyball, basketball, and softball. Um, I played a little bit, two years of collegiate softball before I entered my field of athletic training. After that, I played soccer and actually I played women's tackle football as well. So you name it, most of the sports I've played them. I found another lady who wanted who played a football. I grew up. I grew up in a football town. Oh and, really? Oh yeah, Texas. <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny. Uh, one of my earliest memories growing up, uh, you know, and people asking you what you wanted to be. Uh, mm -hmm. I always wanted to be a professional football player. Uh, Billy Whiteshoes Johnson of the Houston Oilers was my idol, and so um, I wanted to be a wide receiver. And uh, to the he and my daddy was always like, oh, they're kind of pretty big in professional ball. Maybe <laughs> when you grow up, there'll be a, a female league. And to hear that, that you actually, you know, play in a league is pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I wish I had found it sooner, but, um, you know, that's how it goes. But it was a fun time. That's great. Uh, I also played at um, sports throughout school and it was very affirming and teaching the, you know, so many skills you learn, as you know, from from sports, um, you know, from team building to teamwork to, you know, taking care of your health, all of those kind of things. Uh, in, in fact, this morning I swam. That was my that was my exercise this morning is uh, a hit lap swim for about 30 minutes. I love I love sports. That's very commendable of you because swimming is hard. Is hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell me about, you know, you talk about heat prevention and, you know, recently over the last um, few years, a lot of, um, we've seen quite a few deaths of young people who have been playing sports, various sports. And uh, you talk about prevention and uh, from heat stroke and all that. Can you kind of give some of our um, parents some advice as well as, you know, we have a lot of people who exercise on their own and, and really need to know what to do in order to prevent um, heat stroke and other challenges with them themselves. Can you educate our audience on that? Sure. Um, I think the key is is making sure you know you're healthy to begin with before you even start the training or anything. So making sure you've been cleared by a physician, you have a physical that you've been checked out to make sure that you're healthy and there's nothing that you have going on that would cause a more serious injury when you're exercising. Another factor I think, especially for parents and and youth athletes, is if your child is playing organized sport at a high school, for example, making sure that that school has hired an athletic trainer um, that's going to be there. Um, you know, we've heard a lot of cases of cardiac cases, heat stroke and things like that. And if the school doesn't have an athletic trainer on site, um, that's going to delay treatment. So we are trained for emergency situations. We're trained to recognize concussions, um, heat illness, um, cardiac, you know, sudden cardiac death and things like that. And, and we, we are there and ready. And it's a, it's a completely different situation if you have somebody on site with your athletics team 
uh, prepared to deal with that than if you have to call 911 and wait for them to respond. And that could definitely mean the life, uh, difference between life and death in some situations. So I think having health, healthy body, hydration is important, um, not exercising at the hottest times of the day. Sometimes I'm in Florida and I see people out there running at one o'clock in the afternoon and it's like 90 degrees, feels like over a hundred and um, that's really dangerous. So making sure gradual, um, gradual progression of exercise. So if you haven't been exercising for a long time and you're like, I'm gonna, I'm on a health kick, I'm gonna go outside is, is make sure it's gradual. You know, every day you do a little bit more, um, you stay hydrated, sleep properly, eat properly. Um, those are general guidelines. I mean, I could talk for, you know, entire courses on injury prevention, but those are the keys. But I think for the youth athletes, especially when you hear about cardiac death and, and athletes dying from heat stroke is is making sure they have a physical on file and they're they're healthy to perform exercise. And then also that there's an athletic trainer on site to be there if an emergency does occur. That's great advice. Um, so for all of you who uh, support athletics in your community or at, at your school, who are members of booster clubs for various athletic organizations, that might be one of the goals that you uh, seek to have in order to support your organization is making sure you have an athletic trainer on staff and on location during uh, practice as well as during games uh, so that there is no delay when there is a need for care. Absolutely. So um, you are a member of the National Athletic Trainers Association. Can you tell us about that organization and your work there? Uh, we at the Empowerment Zone are really focused on empowerment and impact. And one of the key issues that we really promote is the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in all environments is so important. Um, that uh, marginalized communities have opportunities and that they are equal players at the various tables that exist. Can you tell us about uh, uh, NATA and your work? Yeah, so the National Athletic Trainers Association or NAPA is our overseeing um, organization. It's definitely a member organization. So it's made up of people like myself. There is a, there's a staff and um, leaders within the profession, but the members are actively involved in service opportunities. So as you mentioned, you know, there's a diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility um, task force that I, I can talk more about, but I, I'm, I'm a co-chair of that, or, of that uh, group and it's a service role. So athletic trainers um, throughout the country are involved in the leadership of that organization, um, whether it's at the national district or state level, and um, basically making sure we're advocating for our athletic trainers as a profession, um, making sure that we're advocating for our patients. Um, and then within one of those um, advocacy um, you know, endeavors, uh, the NATA put forth this diversity, equity, inclusion, and access task force, of which I'm a co-chair. And, and the, the purpose of that was to see what we're doing as an organization, where there's room for improvement, and how we could be a little bit more intentional with um, the DEI um, aspect. So tell us about your work. I mean, what are some of the challenges that you all um, are addressing and how, you know, people, a lot of organizations, a lot of institutions, a lot of businesses are now really focusing on DEINA. And one of the questions I always get uh, pretty often is, 
behalf, you know, the everybody understands the why, but the how. So what are some of the activities you all are involved in and what are, excuse me, first, what are the issues, specific issues that you're addressing? And then how uh, are you all addressing those issues? What solutions are you bringing forth? Sure, um, this is a very tough question because there's so much going on with that. Um, I will say that the organization historically has had um, an ethnic diversity advisory committee. Um, we've had that for years um, and they've done some really great work within the profession. Um, in 2017, the NATA created an LGBTQ advisory committee as well to help address uh, the healthcare issues with the LGBTQ community, as well as resources for athletic trainers within the LGBTQ community. Um, and so it wasn't until um, 2021, late 2020, that they created um, the NATA uh, DEIA, or Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Access Task Force. And, and that was, you know, much like a lot of the world in 2020, um, people were saying, that's not enough. We haven't done enough. We don't know if people are being supportive or not and all that. So um, so they had this whole uh, movement, I guess, I don't know if movement is the right word, but efforts to improve DEIA within our profession of athletic training. Um, they hired a consultant. Um, they listened to the membership to see what is it that the membership is seeing as a need? What do we need to do? Where are we and kind of where do we need to go from here? Um, and as a result, the leadership within the NATA created uh, six DEIA commitments. Um, they're very specific with the commitments. Um, I don't, I'm not going to read them all, although I can, but I could definitely provide links to it. But cultivating an inclusive and welcoming environment, making sure to be intentional with diversity among the profession. Um, you know, we we want to make sure that as healthcare providers, um, there's representation, uh, representation in the healthcare providers that. Um, the patients will feel comfortable and feel represented in their in the membership of the NATA, um, making sure that the values of diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility are embedded. It's not like here's one talk on DEI. It's like we're going to embed it and make sure that it's incorporated into all aspects of the organization. So the task force was charged with basically bringing those six DEIA commitments to life. Like what changes are we going to make? To, we, don't, we don't want just words, right? We want action. So we don't want to just say these are the six commitments and that's where we stand. It's like, these are the six commitments. And then it was my job as well as my amazing co-chair of the task force to um, lead this group of volunteers, basically members of the NATA to bring those six commitments to life to actually come up with actionable items um, that the organization and the membership could could then kind of put it to work. So I have so many questions from just that little uh, bit you stated. Um, one, I, I want to focus on one of your previous statements about the LGBTQI plus community. And you talk about servicing that community by athletic trainers. Is is that correct? And, yes. so, and so what are some of the issues that we have to discuss in, in that in, in terms of care? Uh, so many. Um, I think the main biggest ones are creating that welcoming and inclusive environment is um, are people feeling welcome, right? We all know that diversity is is having diverse groups of people, but the whole inclusion aspect of actually feeling included and feeling like you're part of it, um, as well as making sure that they have equitable health care. So some of those things could be 
um, the documentation, you know, when you're, when you fill out a, a form at a doctor's office, is it just, does it say just a gender, male and female, and those are the only options, you know, when we know there are people that are gender diverse, um, is it just being very inclusive with the words that we use, how important, we know how important words matter, so when you're questioning, talking to a patient, um, not, you know, trying to get away from the heteronormative concepts of you're talking to a female patient and you're going to say, you know, do you have a, you know, a boyfriend or somebody, you know, like basically just making sure that we're asking open-ended questions and allowing the patient to identify themselves and then making sure that we're inclusive of that. And there's so many issues right now with transgender healthcare and the lack of inclusion and the lack of um, access to healthcare, um, discrimination, a lot of discrimination to, um, within the healthcare field in general, all, all aspects of medical um, healthcare, that it's just really, we wanted to make sure that we were addressing any issues and providing resources and education. So um, there's a lot of research on this, but there's very little, historically, there's been very little education in medical schools and other healthcare professions for LGBTQ patient healthcare. So people graduate, they take the exam, they're certified, licensed in whatever the profession is, and then they encounter somebody in the LGBTQ community and they like, I didn't learn this in school. So we wanted to purposely provide educational resources. We created a safe space ally training for athletic trainers um, and, and just educational information so that athletic trainers could better be prepared. You know, they have a trans athlete um, that's binding or or taking hormone replacement therapy and all that. and and. Are we, do we know what we need to do to take care of that patient properly, the whole patient? Um, it's not, you know, people walk in with a knee pain, but it's not just a knee walking in, it's a whole person. So that emphasis on patient-centered care is really what we were focusing on. So when you do that, um, you know, when you talk about tra training people who, are, who have already finished their degrees and finished their certifications and all of that, are you all providing professional development activities or are you, is it as an organization or are people kind of on their own to find the information? Uh, great question. Yeah. So uh, we provided uh, that safe space ally training that was sponsored by the NATA um, as a professional development continuing education course. Uh, so we delivered it at the national meeting. Some people from the LGBTQ advisor committee are the ones that basically created this program that was then delivering that content live, uh, you know, to the district, district meetings, we would get invited to specific groups, you know, a university would say, hey, we want to make sure our site trainers um, and our staff are, are prepared. Can you come do a guest lecture? Um, there was a, an asynchronous uh, web webinar. Um, during COVID, we did lots of, you know, Zoom and live continuing education and, and things of that nature. Interesting. So, you know, with you being Latina or you self-identify as Latina, correct? Yes, I do. Um, you know, do you feel like you're, the, the community is well represented in the field of athletic training? If so, uh, you know, support, or if you don't think, what do we, what, what do we need to do to have uh, women and women of color to really consider this uh, athletic training as a career option? Great, great question. And I, I think I have a really interesting perspective. And it's, it wasn't until, you know, just recently that I realized how different my situation was. Uh, because as I mentioned, I was I grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, a lot of Spanish speakers, a lot of Hispanic people in Miami. Um, when I worked at the high school setting there for, um, you know, between my internship and 
my actual career for 10 years and I didn't feel like a minority and I felt like we were super represented um, and then when I went away to get my doctorate in New England and I spoke to my mom on the phone one day in Spanish and I realized everybody stopped talking and was just staring at me I was like oh I'm a minority you know and that was just such, a, such an interesting perspective for me because I have heard from Latino um, athletic trainers in other areas of the country um, and their experience is vastly different and they have felt discri very discriminated against since they could remember um, early on in the career and 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 had some negative experiences about that so there are Latino in the athletic training profession for sure um, a lot of them um, I think just now is when we're starting to see them in leadership roles and I think that's kind of the shift of the NATA and the DEIA is making sure we have representation of different you know, ethnicities across the profession, but also in leadership roles. You know, um, or, you know, just when I started being involved in leadership positions within the, the, the profession, um, and we started talking about DEIA and you have the, this graph of people that are chairs of committees. And I see, I could, when you could point yourself off out in a graph, of an N of one in terms of like Latinas that are in a leadership position, I was just like, oh, that's me. And if you could, you know, see yourself in a line graph or something, you know, there's not enough diversity. So um, I think these efforts are definitely improving um, this this charge to improve diversity within the profession and leadership role is working and we're, we're slowly seeing that shift. So early on, not as much um, in terms of leadership roles and all that, but it, it's definitely changing. So in your opinion, just being in the profession and being involved with uh, the National Athletic Trainers Association, which we've been referring to in this conversation as NATA, um, in your experience uh, working in the profession and in NATA, why do you think uh, DEINA is so valuable to, uh, to the profession of athletic training? Yeah, I think I think everyone everyone benefits from DEIA. I think I think there's a misconception that only people that are of an underrepresented group benefit from diversity, but it's really everybody. Um, and so I think getting people to understand that everybody wins um, is the challenge. Um, everybody could could benefit from that. I think it's so important. And when I talk about diversity, I'm referring to everything. It could be ethnic diversity. Um, whether we're talking about uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, um, even diversity of thought, right? Having different opinions. You don't want to be surrounded. I mean, it's nice to be surrounded with people that all think that you're right, um, but we don't really grow and change that way. So I think it's really important to have diversity of thought, diversity of experiences, so that we all learn from one another. And I think from the professional standpoint for athletic training, um, it's really important so that we, we provide the best health care for our patients um, and we're supportive of one another. And, and if somebody do, doesn't see themselves represented in, in the, in the health care that they're getting or, or people are not aware of some of the health disparities and health care disparities that people receive, um, then, then it's going to be, a, you know, a, a very negative situation um, that could affect everybody and could impact everybody in a negative way. So I think diversity is just something that everybody could benefit from. 
You, you, you make a great point that everybody benefits. So many times we interpret DEINA as the recipient is the one who benefits, but everybody is the recipient, right? When you have, like you just stated, diversity of thought and diversity of, of, of experience and understanding, it really um, enhances everyone. Cultural competency is a big deal in in terms of the healthcare profession, right? You have to, like Absolutely. you stated, using just the example of the LGBTQI plus community, that you know, to have the language, to develop the trust, to understand the various issues is important. And if we're going to be great professionals in the healthcare profession, we have to have. Uh, 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 understanding of a lot of communities and experiences. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think cultural competence is really important. I think cultural humility is important too, just wanting that understanding that I don't know everything and my way is not the only way, but wanting to learn from other people and understand um, from other cultures and you know how different we are and just kind of learn from that and, and grow from there, I think is really important. are a professor of athletic training at the University of South Florida. And we here at the Empowerment Zone are big advocates for higher education. And so uh, I'd like you to share with our audience, many of whom are aspiring students or currently students on a campus, what strategy would you have to make sure that they're successful in college? But could you first begin by saying, what your um, what schools did you attend? What were your major or majors and degrees? And then tell us that strategy for college success. Sure. Um, so my I earned my bachelor's at Florida International University in Miami, Florida. It was at the time uh, um, bachelor's in health education with a specialization in athletic training. Um, from there, I was started to work clinically and went back to Florida International University or FIU for an advanced uh, post-professional master's in athletic training. Um, and then it wasn't until several years later that, that I decided to pursue a doctorate and that was at the University of Connecticut and it was a doctorate in exercise science and kinesiology. And so my advice to students would be, that's a loaded question, right? There's so many things, but I think um, believe in yourself is a really important one and find mentors, I think. Uh, there, there are going to be obstacles always in your way, um, but they shouldn't be obstacles that stop you from your forward motion. Um, you know, when you look at people that have been very successful in their life, it's never a straight line. It's always kind of opportunities, obstacles, things that you have to roadblocks that you have to figure out a way to go around. So, um, you know, believe in yourself, find mentorship, whether it's professors, uh, um, older students, even uh, peers, uh, people that could be supportive of each other. Um, and I think what I've seen a lot in students nowadays as well is is mental health, you know, really intense programs um, and and a lot of pressure to succeed and, and kind of you give up yourself, you know. So I think um, taking care of yourself physically, you know, sleeping, eating, um, taking taking the, the, the time to whether it's exercise or whatever the stress relief is for you in a healthy way um, to take care of yourself. I think those are, if I had to answer that question in one answer, that would be kind of, that's my best guess. 
man, that, that those are some great pieces of advice, <laughs> you know, the importance of taking care of yourself. You know, a lot of times, I, I know when I was a freshman in college, I read this book, this, uh, and I remember this one quote that said, health is something people don't appreciate until it's gone. And in order for us to really perform at our maximum level, we need to be healthy physically and mentally. And college is a great place to begin uh, that habit of exercise, eating right, and taking care of your mental health and seeking out support when you need it. Thank you for that great advice. Um, believe in yourself. You sounded like a coach. Believe <laughs> <laughs> yourself and, and, and make sure that you understand that there's never a straight line to success. That 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 is so true because many times when we look at people, we look at the end, right? And not right. everything it took to get where they were. Right. Uh, and finding mentors and those mentors can be professors or they can be your uh, uh, fellow colleagues and students. I always called them my peer elders when I was in college. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, uh, just making sure that you um uh like she said believe in yourself that that was that's great advice because a lot of times we stop short because of a of, of lack of uh belief so uh thank you so much uh dr rebecca it's been great to have you on the show and and i wish you much success as you continue to help the national associate the national athletic trainers association to reach there fullest potential by embracing all people. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song, NADWorks, digital support, and of course, our featured guest, 